0: The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. Thank you for listening. For more information on Story City, you can find us online at storycitychurch.com or on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Story City Church. Morning, everyone. My name is Samir. This is my mother, Mary. I'm going to be reading the scripture today in English, and my mom will be reading it in Arabic. Matthew 5, 1 through 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Walamara Jumwa, Saida, ila Jebel, Felema, jealouser, Takadama, ilahi, Telamido, Fafata, Fahu, Walama, Kailan, Tubalil Maseki, Nibirro, Le Anna, la hum, Melacutis, Samawet, Tubalil Hazana, Le Anna, hum, Yetazon, Tubalil, Wuda this is the word of the lord wow thanks brother now i don't know why you guys but that was amazing can we thank them one more time for for doing that And it's so good. Well, hey, good morning, Story City. If I haven't had a chance to meet you personally yet, my name is Daryl. I I get the honor of being here with you guys today. Uh, Technically, I'm a missionary here in the city of Los Angeles through an organization called Send Relief. But I get the honor of calling Story City Church my home and my family. So thank you guys as uh, we've come out here. Yes, thank you so much. That's some of my small group. Shawana, thank you. Love you, but uh, man, that's one thing that Story City does well is community and props. Yes, let's give it up for Leah. Leah's awesome. Well, hey guys, I'm I am excited to be here with you guys today and uh, talking and continuing through the B attitudes. But as Andy said a little bit that. Today, historically, would be the beginning of Holy Week. And Holy Week is where they were celebrating it through the Passover meal. They were celebrating the exodus of God's people, where they were freed from slavery. And that's what this whole week was a celebration leading up to that. And so what's different about us where we are today is we really celebrate today as Palm Sunday because that's where Jesus comes on the scene. It's, it's about to be a new freedom, a new exodus for his people. Now, as Andy said that they were celebrating because many of them knew that this time was here. They were waiting on a prophecy that was made over 500 years ago in Zechariah. And so as Jesus was approaching, they were celebrating as well. Now, why, weren't they, why were not they celebrating something different here? Many of these people, although it's Passover, but a lot of these people were hurt people, broken people that were waiting for the Messiah to help uh, give them back their position and right standing in the community. And so it was a celebration and and it should have been. But I found something interesting as I was looking into the text of this. And if you go to Luke chapter 19, it talks about Jesus as he's coming in. Now picture people are laying their jackets on the ground. People are laying palm leaves on the ground. They are celebrating, they are excited and Jesus is coming in. He's a little bit of ways away and he sees a picture of the whole city. And it says that Jesus began to weep. Jesus began to weep. And I was thinking about why was he weeping? Was he sad? Because he knew that that day began the countdown, seven days till his resurrection. So was he crying because he knew what was about to come? He says why he was crying in Luke chapter 9, verses 40 and 42. It says, as he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city. And he wept over it. And he said, even you had, I'm sorry, if you had only known on this day, what would bring you peace? But now it's hidden from your eyes. And I thought that was a bit of a sobering statement. The people are celebrating and he looks at his city and he says, if you only knew what would bring peace. See, they were celebrating because they thought God, Jesus was coming to bring peace but in a different way, to conquer, to take over, to rule, to to elevate them to their positions of right standing in the community. That's the piece that they were looking for. And he cried because they missed it. He had already been teaching them. He had already been with them and, and they hadn't got it. He was weeping because he saw a whole city that was still stuck in bondage that was still stuck in the world's ways, that was still in pain. And those that did believe in him had no mercy. They were so concerned about themselves. It really should have been reversed. When the people saw Jesus coming, they should have been weeping and Jesus should have been celebrating because they were faithful in what they had been called to do. And God, I just pray, that the day doesn't come that God will look down upon our city in the same way. But yet he would celebrate and say, good job to those that had followed him. See, he had been teaching them, and I believe he's teaching a lot of us still today, that although we're in pain, although we're hurting, hurting, the way forward, the way to peace is mercy. It's mercy. And the pain or the sacrifice that mercy shows or that is experienced, that's how we receive the kingdom, through that mercy. But his people hadn't truly acknowledged or comprehended the concept of grace and mercy yet. So what is the difference if we're talking about grace and mercy? On the receiving end between us and God, Grace is the pathway that we receive salvation and justification. Mercy is the process we go through through sanctification. And what does that look like is uh, application in our life? It looks like us seeing our city and all its brokenness and seeing seeing people and all their brokenness, but holding back our judgment and choosing to forgive instead. Mercy looks like us seeing our city in her sin and her brokenness and seeing the people and the pain and the results of sin and a broken city. And our hearts yearn to step in and relieve our people from the suffering that they're in. That's a picture of mercy in our life. And this journey that we're going on in the Beatitudes, that's what this is. It's a journey that is searching our hearts and giving us the standard by which we live that out in our lives today. If you guys have been following along with us, we've been in this series going through Sermon on the Mount and we've been focusing time on the Beatitudes. Jared talked a little bit about how Moses gave the law and people, there was the standard. It was the lens they were to look through their life to see their right standing with God. And now Jesus comes and shows them this way of to receive him and that this Sermon on the Mount would be the new way for them to look through the lens into their own heart and to their right standing with God. And so up until this point, weeks ahead, where we've gone through the first four or five Beatitudes, it's all been about us, really. It's been about what we've received from God. It's been about the position that our hearts need to be in in order to move in to what God is calling us to do. Our hearts have to be positioned in the right place. We talked about first, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. And blessed those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. It's all in a place of seeing our right standing, of humbling us, us recognizing what God has done for us in our life, recognizing that we need him and where we stand. But only then are we able to move on to where we are here, which is blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. It implies that unless you have acknowledged that you've received mercy in your own life, unless you have acknowledged the gravity of what God has done, unless you acknowledge those, it's no way for us to truly be merciful in the lives that God has called us to. Which brings us to our first observation in this scripture, which is mercy experienced often precedes mercy offered. Mercy experience often precedes mercy offered. I was with a friend the other day and we were talking about this restaurant, Chipotle. I called it Chipotle, but that was a separate argument. But he was talking about he was at Chipotle and there was a guy standing in front of the restaurant. As he walks up, the guy says, hey, would you buy me lunch? And and, and he assumed that he was homeless or going through some struggles. And, And this friend has experienced a ton of grace and mercy in his life. So of course, it was an automatic response. Absolutely, I will. So they walk in, they're they're walking in, the guy's kind of in front of them. No one else is in the store. He walks straight up to the counter and he begins to order. I want double rice, double meat, double cheese. I want two cheese dips. I want a bag of chips. I want it all. So my friend sits there and he's watching this as he's counting the money in his wallet to make sure that he could afford it. But he's watching this, but he's also filled with joy of it. He sees the excitement in the guy's eyes because he's like about to have what he's always wanted. So it goes down the line, if you know how Chipotle works, when you get to the end, your food's already made and they charge you. So he's standing there. Right when the lady's done with the food, he grabs it, doesn't look at anybody and just turns and walks out of the store. Doesn't say thank you. Doesn't acknowledge what happened. Doesn't acknowledge that it was a $32 bill. Doesn't acknowledge anything. And, and he tells me the story and I say, wow, that was really rude. Like he had no idea that you just were going out of your way for him, that you were showing him mercy. And he said, no, 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 that's not the point. It's not about me. Like that's not why I'm telling the story. I don't need him to say thank you to me. I don't need him to do anything. I don't know if he was taking that food to his family or who, maybe that's why he ordered double. Maybe he has kids waiting for him. He goes, it wasn't about that. He goes, the real convicting part of this story is I wonder how much that's a picture of our personal relationship with God. How we come to God in prayer, we come to God with needs and God gladly offers and we just take it and walk away. We don't even realize the mercy that we're being shown in our life. Somehow in, 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 in our life and the, some of the comfortable areas that we have, we somehow feel like we deserve it or we've earned it or it's because our hard work or because it's our rights as a person. But yet he was like, man, that was so convicting of me that do I really have my heart positioned in a place of brokenness where I am in awe of what God is done for my life. I love that song, open the window and let the light in. Open the window. Okay, but open the window. And I was thinking about that and I'm like, we're really asking, when you open the w- let light in the window, why are you doing that? So you could see what's inside the room. Not for other people to see in. That'd be creepy. You don't want people to see in your room. You want to see what's in the room. And so we're per- when we're singing God, let open, we're telling ourselves to open and let the light in so we can see the position and posture of our heart. And when we begin to understand that place, when we've received mercy in that way, when we understand and acknowledge it, then mercy begins to overflow through compassion and mercy. Our second observation is mercy is manifested in action. It's manifested in action. I couldn't think of a better example or a story of mercy being manifested in action than the parable of the good Samaritan. And I don't know if you guys know the story, but it's in Luke chapter 10. Um, We have it printed in some of your your areas or it'll be on the screen. We're going to kick off in in verse 30, but I want to kind of catch you up to that point. Basically, there's this guy that's an expert in the law. He knows the law. He knows what he's supposed to do. So he goes to Jesus and he says, tell me, how do we earn or receive this eternal kingdom? And Jesus looks to him and basically says, you know the law, you tell me what it says. And he says, the law says, love the God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul and love your neighbor, essentially. And then Jesus says, Well, then go do that. That's how you receive the eternal kingdom. And then the guy says, well, who's technically my neighbor? And I love here, it continues on where we're going to read in verse 30. It says, Jesus replied, and he tells his parable. And he basically speaks of a man that's on a journey going from Jerusalem to Jericho. This guy was robbed, he was beaten up and he was thrown on the side of the streets. I don't know why, maybe it was like a drug deal gone bad or something, who knows? We don't know if he was good or bad, but he was robbed and thrown on the side of the road. It says that a priest is walking and sees the guy beat up on the side of the road and walks and goes around on the other side. Then it says that a Levite was walking along, sees the guy on the side of the road, walks around, goes on the other side. But then it says, but a Samaritan, comes along, sees the guy beaten up, sitting on the side of the road and the Samaritan begins to care for this guy, begins to wrap his wounds, pour like oil and honey and whatever else, I don't know, like stuff that they had back then on him, begins to take care of him and begins to look after him, but then doesn't just leave the person there, takes the person to the four seasons, pays for the person to stay there and then tells the person they could order all the room service they want. And when I come back, I'll go ahead and fork the bill. And then Jesus tells this parable and looks to the guy and says, now out of those three people, you tell me who the neighbor is. And the expert in law replied this, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. This is how important mercy is, guys. The guy, the guy said, how do we inherit the kingdom of God? And he says two things, accept and love me and have mercy on your neighbor. It's so important. And see, the crazy thing is, it's all about a position and a posture of our heart and God's place in our life. Which brings us to the third observation the third observation, which is mercy in its fullness is sacrificial. Mercy in its fullness is... So what that means is when I'm walking down the street and I got an extra dollar and I give an extra dollar because it's extra, like is that, it's not necessary. literally squirrel. Um, that's not... I've always wanted that to happen. So... That's not mercy. Like the greatest example of mercy is is God, obviously, is Jesus and his son. The other example of mercy is the good Samaritan. Mercy is not something we do because of something we have in excess. It's not something that we do out of our own strength and our own will because we can. I was talking to our youth pastor, Chris Rev, the other day, and he was like, man, when we were talking about this, he goes, this kind of biblical mercy... It's hard. It's about sacrifice. It's about r- losing the power or giving up the power that you have or your rights. It's about letting go of your position or your security or even the things that you think you have because you deserve them. This kind of biblical sacrifice is hard, Chris was saying. And I was like, You're right, man. It is hard. And that's true. But what's, why we're so lucky is because God doesn't expect us to show this kind of mercy based on our own human nature or our own strength. If you look at Galatians 2.20, it says this, Paul's talking and he says, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So I lived in this earthly body, trusting in the son of God, who loved me and gave himself to me. See, true biblical mercy isn't in our human nature. It comes from a deep place of reverence for the God, for our God, and the mercy he's shown to us. It's a type of mercy that's beyond what we can afford. It's a type of mercy that we don't have time to give. It's a type of mercy that doesn't help build the brand and kingdom we're trying to build. It's sacrificial in our life. And the only way we do it is by first experiencing it, our own selves. You know, the second half of that scripture where it says about the mercy scripture says, show mercy and you will be shown mercy. And I always kind of tripped out on that, show mercy. And so basically what you're saying, if, if I don't show mercy, then you won't show me mercy, God. So, so God, you showing me mercy is dependent upon what I do. So now it's back to me again. And I thought that was interesting, but I don't think that it was true. Again, it's always about our heart and right standing with God, not about our actions are an overflow. Our actions and the things we do are always an overflow of our position with God. And so what does he mean by this? What he really means is that when you're hurting, when you're in need, when you need mercy, I want you to come to me. I want want your heart to have confidence in our relationship. And when you don't show mercy to people, because of the measuring stick that you use to see if they are worth it, if they're valued, if you can afford it, or do they deserve where they are? I know that you will ultimately use that same judgment on yourself, which will prevent you from coming to me. So it's not about God not wanting to give us mercy, but it's about our heart not being in a place to receive mercy. And that's what he's talking about in this place. And so when we try to come to God and from a place that's not a merciful heart, it makes it extremely hard to approach him. It makes it extremely hard to ask things of him. And it makes it extremely hard to receive what God has from us. Because by our own doing, we will cast the same judgment that we cast on others to ourselves and what we receive from God. You know, as my kids get a little older, my son is 14 and my daughter's 12, as they are becoming uh, relatively aware that I am not qualified to be their dad. Like it's, it's getting rough as they get smarter. Um, it goes the opposite way for me. But I was thinking of a few years back when uh, I was on my knees begging God to give me another chance to become a better father to my son. And let me explain why. He was nine years old. We were in this little town in Arizona and we went to this kind of park church event, but we had to park about three miles away in this parking lot. We stayed kind of late. So by the time we walked back to the parking lot, we were the last ones there. My wife's car was there. My car was there. My wife went ahead and drove home. I assumed that my son was in the car with my wife when he was nine years old. It was about 10 o'clock at night. I assumed he was in the car and he wasn't not only was he not in the car, he was banging on the car door. I thought it was my subwoofer. And I was like, wow, this sounds good. So I drove away and left my nine-year-old son in a parking lot, three miles away from a park in a dark area with no street lights or anything. I drove almost all the way home. Luckily, my son had enough energy to run three miles back to the parking lot. And we knew some people that were there that called us and said, Your son is still here at the parking lot. Would you like to come get him? And I went and I apologized and asked my son for grace, asked my son for mercy. And it was one of my big failing moments as a father, leaving and abandoning my kid. But it also brought up some scars in my life because I've experienced abandonment. I've experienced those moments of being afraid and not knowing what to do and my dad not being there. And I prayed, I don't wanna be like that. I don't want my son to have those experiences or those moments. So God, would you give me grace? God, would you show me mercy? God, would you give me a second chance at being a better father to my son? And in that moment, what I was hoping and experiencing that he would say, yes, of course but something different happened. All of a sudden I got this overwhelming feeling. I didn't know if it was good or bad time, but about my biological father. And God said that I'm going to give you the same mercy that you've given your biological father. I've only seen him about six times in my whole entire life. And the truth is I was hurt. I was broken. I was heartbroken and frankly crushed. But God began to show me in my failing where I was, the mercy that I needed. And I needed to extend that same mercy to my father. So thus began the process. You know, he's older in his years now and he desired to meet his grandchildren, which he had met in the first 10, 11 years of their life. And it was gonna be a sacrifice because I didn't trust him. I didn't trust him. And, and to be honest with you, I was still hurt. I was still crushed. A lifetime of identity searching. A lifetime of questioning why. And now I was supposed to hand my grandchildren over, not permit, like, but introduce my grandchildren to them, introduce my wife to them, let my children see that I love them. That was what I was supposed to do. It was a sacrifice. There's nothing that I hold dearer in my life than my children and my wife. And now God was asking me to give those to someone I didn't trust and allow him to experience their love as well. You know, one of the great theologians, Tyler Miller, told me, mercy is often the burden of the brokenhearted. Mercy is often the burden of the looked over, of the passed up. And I believe that was true for me in that moment. So in closing today, it's a reminder of our three points. Mercy experience. We have to acknowledge what God is doing and truly experience His presence in our life. Always precedes you being in a position to offer mercy. Mercy is manifested in action. Mercy is is about a position of your heart. The action is just an overflowing of that. And mercy in its fullness is always sacrificial. Would you guys pray with me? God, we thank you for your mercy. God, I pray that every blessing we experience in life, God, the very breath that we breathe right now, Lord, we recognize it as your mercy. God, and may that reverence for you and your love and your sacrifice position us into a place to love others well. God, on the day you come triumphantly back into our lives, I pray it is you that are celebrating because of our faithfulness and our love for you and one another. We thank you in your son's name, amen.